As Randy prayed, we'll be uh, together in Acts this morning, so if you have a Bible, please turn with me there. And if there's any parents who'd like your kids to go to age-specific teaching up through fifth grade, that's offered now, called Gospel Project. You can take them out to the patio, and uh, someone will show you uh, where uh, to go. So we're starting, as you see on the screens this morning, uh, a journey through uh, the book of Acts. And I'm very excited about that and hope it will be a real blessing to you. Um, if you don't have a Bible underneath the seat in front of you, you should be able to find one. And uh, in those Bibles, we're on page 530. Page 530. Feel free to take that if you don't have uh, a Bible. Each Sunday we get together. One of the main things we do is open the Scriptures and try to understand what God would be uh, saying to us. Lord willing, for much of the remainder of the year, uh, the book of Acts will occupy our time together on Sunday morning. This morning we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, but before we jump in and read those verses, uh, let's consider a few uh, preliminary things. One of the things we need to do is just kind of get oriented to uh, what we're dealing with when we deal with the book of Acts. The book of Acts is one of the most exciting uh, books in the entire Bible. It addresses uh, topics of great importance, not least of which is the careful recounting of the beginning and the explosive growth of the early church. If you're here this morning and you're new uh, to Christianity and you want to understand the origins of where the Christian church came from, well, Acts is your book. In fact, it is the definitive source on the topic. From Acts chapter 1, with just a few followers of Jesus Christ, far fewer than are in this room this morning, to the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, with lots of Christians and lots of churches over lots of continents. This is the place to go to learn about what happened following the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, as you read Acts and hear it preached, you'll want to grapple with the central claim that's being made. That claim is that Jesus died in place of sinners, and that He was vindicated in the resurrection, and that He's alive and well today. If you believe this message, friend, then you'll find yourself turning from sin and trusting in Jesus. That's what a Christian is, someone to whom that has happened. And friend, if you come to terms with this message, perhaps you'll find that everything in your life begins to change. For churches today, regardless of our size or our denomination or what language we speak when we get together, or where in the world we are. All true churches today find their roots somewhere in the soil of these 28 chapters in the book of the Bible. All of them. In a sense, Acts, you see, is like a family tree. It traces our spiritual heritage back to God's promise to have a people for Himself in the Old Testament, and then that begins to flower and blossom into every tribe, tongue, and nation 
in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts. So Christian, this is your story. Church, this is our story. Non-Christian, this could become your story. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible and you've read the book of Acts more than once, then you face a particular danger as we uh, embark on this journey together. A journey is familiarity. The journey of familiarity, having already done it, is what presents to you an obstacle. You see, familiarity can unfortunately cause inoculation. There's all kinds of things we want immunity from, certainly on our minds as we watch the news right now. But the wonder and marvel and majesty of God and His saving work in Jesus Christ is not something we want to get used to. It's not something we want to become accustomed to and not gripped by. So, beloved, if you feel like you already know Acts, then I want to encourage you this morning, even as I'm talking, that you would talk to God. That you would ask Him to give you fresh ears to hear and eyes to see what He would have for you here. Frankly, I think if we actually hear what the book teaches as Christians, and we allow ourselves to come to grips with its implications, then it's going to interrupt our lives. Because Acts as a book destroys a domesticated, boring, mundane, caged Christianity. It just blows the door wide off that kind of Christianity. It corrects the perspective that a blessed life is an easy life. And it shows that instead, a blessed life is a sacrificial life that's being lived for the furtherance of the gospel. Acts demonstrates that godly people will seemingly at every turn end up suffering precisely for doing good things. That we shouldn't be at all surprised by any opposition that would come. Acts calls every follower of Jesus Christ into a kingdom adventure that will require a total life reorientation. It's going to be a lot of fun. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this personally and corporately to help us recapture the power of Christianity and the thrill of walking with Jesus. So as we start this morning, we'll begin with verse 1. Joshua Bowling is going to come read for us Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. When he said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thanks, brother. So in the midst of the start of this book, uh, what we have is a bit of a review. And then there's some amazing promises and a description of one of the most important events that's ever happened that we don't hardly ever think about, the ascension. And then there's the entrusting of a worldwide gospel mission. All of that is crammed into these 11 verses. And in those 11 verses, in the midst of the description of those events, there's an incredibly important lesson that's presented for us today. Let me say it simply, and then we'll add to it as we go. These 11 verses tell us that what Jesus began, Jesus continues. What Jesus began, Jesus uh, continues. And so we'll just consider these verses under those two headings. First, what Jesus began. You'll notice if you look back at verse 1, that Acts begins with a shout out to another book. Acts, you see, is volume 2. The, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are companion volumes written by the same person and addressed to the same person, some, someone named uh, Theophilus. I almost said someone named Theophilus. Uh, Luke's motive In the book of Luke, if you turn back there at some point in the next few days and read the first four verses, what you'll see is that Luke's motive in addressing the gospel of Luke to a man named Theophilus was to give him certainty about the things that he had been taught. And so it's safe to assume that here in Acts, Luke must have written volume two in order to demonstrate to Theophilus that nothing can stop the triumphant, grace-filled march of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you this morning that perhaps in the coming days or weeks, that you would take the time to read the first volume, the, the book of Luke. The New Testament order goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that third book, Luke, Luke recounts the birth, life, teaching, miracles, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. If you were to sit down with a friend and a cup of coffee, it would take you about two and a half hours to read through the book of Luke. Now, if that's too long, then you can certainly split it up over days or even a week. Or if you just took one chapter a day, you would get through it in less than a month. I want to encourage you as a non-Christian to do that, to devote the time to really consider what 
Luke said in chapter 1 or volume 1 about Jesus. We Christians, you see, believe every word that Luke wrote. We believe this is the truth given by God for our good, that we would know Jesus. Amen, brothers and sisters? You'll notice if you read Luke that the central events in the book are his death and resurrection. That's because the Bible says all human beings have a desperate need that can only be resolved in Jesus. That's what we Christians call the gospel. When we're done later this morning, you can ask somebody near you to tell you more about that gospel. I'm sure that they would be delighted uh, to do so. But for all of us, as we consider this opening paragraph in particular in the book of Acts, Acts begins by referencing a previous book. And that starting point is crucial for how we understand the whole book. It's easy to think of the book of Luke as the book that's about Jesus, and the book of Acts as the book that's about the church. In fact, I've heard that described that way many, many times. The problem, of course, is that that's not what Luke meant, nor does that capture how God is at work in the world today. To view it that way is to misunderstand the nature of how God is at work here, right now. You see, all that's bound up in one word. If you look in chapter 1, verse 1, you'll notice the word began. In the first book, Luke's saying, I wrote to tell you everything Jesus started doing. Now, do you hear what he's implying about the second book? He's saying that Acts is about what Jesus continued to do. Now that's a bit surprising because Jesus is about to peace out. Jesus says, let me tell you what I'm going to keep doing. And then he leaves. But hear the point being made. The Gospel of Luke recounts Jesus' ministry on earth exercised personally and publicly. And the book of Acts recounts Jesus' earthly ministry continuing through His ministry from heaven, exercised by the Spirit among the apostles and then the church. So friends, while Jesus is not here physically, that does not mean Jesus is not here. He is here now. He's present by His Spirit. And the book is going to conclude at the end of chapter 28 very much like the book of Jonah ended. Now, not with the phrase, and also much cattle. Which, by the way, some shirts are coming. It doesn't end with that kind of odd reference to animals, but it very much ends open-ended. Why? Well, because Jesus' ministry continues on into today through you, brothers and sisters. God's power is principally harnessed today through gospel witnessing and holy living among the people of God 
as the churches of God. If you want to see what God's doing today, just look around. He's using you. Jesus is present by means of His Spirit through His people. The redemptive work Jesus began is now continuing by His Spirit through His people. What Jesus began, Jesus continues. You see why that word is so important? The next paragraph is going to make this abundantly obvious to us. If you let your eyes glance back through verses 6 through 11, you'll notice particularly in verse 6, the disciples ask a question that reveals despite all the time they'd spent with Jesus, Seeing him with their own eyes, traveling with him, literally being with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week for years, looking eyeball to eyeball and hearing him teach them, they still didn't actually grasp God's global plan. They didn't get it. They missed it. Understandably, we might say, they lacked understanding. Verse 6, they reveal the question, will you, will you now restore the kingdom? The disciples thought Jesus was going to immediately establish a physical kingdom here on earth. And they conceived of that kingdom as being political or national in nature. Likely these First century Jews were imagining Jesus would overthrow Rome, the world superpower of the time. Overthrow Rome, kick them out of Israel, and Jesus would sit on a physical throne over the city of Jerusalem, over the nation of Israel, almost like they were returning back to the glory days under King David. They misunderstood what Jesus had promised to do. We can certainly misunderstand Jesus, too. In fact, probably lots of us, me included, this morning, have misunderstandings about what Jesus has promised us. Now, Jesus' response in verses 7 and 8 to their confusion is brilliant. And it shows that the disciples were thinking far too small about what God had promised to accomplish. Jesus essentially corrected their misunderstandings by addressing the nature of what he called the kingdom of God. Jesus said, don't worry about when. Let me correct you by telling you what. And Jesus revealed to them that he's not building today a physical kingdom. No, he's building a spiritual one. In the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection from the dead and his floating back up to heaven, verse 3 says that he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Jesus was laboring to help the disciples understand that his reign as king was not simply going to be physical, nor would it only be for the Jews. 
The kingdom of God, you see, is not a geopolitical boundary. It's not a country. Instead, the kingdom of God is present wherever Jesus' rule and reign are rightly recognized in an individual. The kingdom of God has come upon you if, by God's grace, you have responded to the gospel. That's where the rule and reign of God is at work today. Whomever God saves has become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus tried to prepare them for this major change from what they were expecting. In fact, much of the book of Luke is recounting Jesus laying out for them, let me tell you how the kingdom of God works. Certainly one of the most famous things Jesus said is, unless you receive the kingdom of God as a child, then you can't enter in. But when the disciples asked in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, will you restore the kingdom of God now? They are clearly still thinking land, borders, physical space, city of Jerusalem. Jesus corrected them by turning their attention to the mission he would give them and the power that would fuel that mission. We so desperately need the Lord Jesus to correct us from the things we sometimes get caught up in, thinking that are the center of his work today. It's so easy for a church to get distracted by politics, by human metrics of success, by our own ideas about how God ought to work, by trying to find the next big innovation or new program we ought to try. Would that we, Church on Mill, would hear Jesus' correction to us. We too can be asking Jesus, will you restore Church on Mill now? And as we ask that question, Jesus says to us, let me turn your eyes to our mission instead. Certainly, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is among the most famous verses in the entire Bible. You've got John 3.16 and maybe... Acts 1, verse 8 is the next most famous verse. It is our mission. It is the mission of every church. There's nothing special about us. But read it with me again, if you would. Look there at chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. It moves out. In circles, Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Beloved, we know Jesus Christ today, and Church on Mill exists as a lighthouse in Tempe because Christians who came before us obeyed this verse. How cool is that? This verse serves as something of a a table of contents for what we'll be looking at the next several months together over the book of Acts. 
See, Acts chapter 1 all the way through 7 describes the Word of God spreading among the people of the city of Jerusalem. And then Acts chapter 8 through 12 recounts the news of the kingdom of God spreading beyond Jerusalem, out into Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 13 to 20 gives us the gospel going out into Asia. And then finally, Acts 21 to 28 describes the word of God reaching even the ends of the earth, the city of Rome. This is the the orienting verse for the entire book. Now here's something astonishing. That movement from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, chapter 1 to chapter 28, only recounts a period of three decades, 30 years. I thought about asking the room if you're 30 or younger to stand up, and I realized there are women in the room and that would be unwise. So just picture it in your mind. Less than the amount of time many of us in the room have been alive. The gospel went from a handful of followers in a nothing city, historically speaking, at least to Rome. To the ends of the earth. From just a few followers of Jesus to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And we have never looked back. How? Well, the kingdom of God moves forward by the word of God spreading among the people of God as we remain plugged into the Holy Spirit's power. It's not moved forward by money or by celebrity status or by huge buildings, or by particularly prominent pastors. The gospel moves forward through you. Normal, everyday Christians who have resurrection power in them, boldly sharing the gospel. You see, brothers and sisters, every time you share God's word with someone, who has not yet bent the knee to Jesus. You are witnessing of the kingdom of God. You're doing exactly what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is talking about. The gospel, brothers and sisters, is news. And it's news that we must announce with confidence. And if the gospel can go from this little tiny group and in the span of only 30 years, accomplish that much, certainly the Lord can do the same today. As individuals receive the Word of God, they become part of the kingdom of God, and then they help continue the spread of the Word of God. This is God's great plan. And so church, hear me loud and clear. Our King is alive and well. He is ruling and reigning by His Spirit. His redemptive work is continuing. And so we can witness with confidence and power.
That's what the Spirit aims to do in each of our lives. That's especially what the Spirit aims to do in this body of believers. And as we gather together on Sundays in worship, we do so in order to be fueled up again by the Spirit for a week of living on mission together. The book of Acts contains uh, some 20 sermons. A fourth of the entire book is someone standing and saying, this is what God says. The kingdom of God moves forward today as God's word is rightly preached. The Spirit uses it to remind us of what Christians believe. And then as we go together throughout the week to live this out with courage and with love. So thanks for being here today and investing in that way in which God so often works. If we go back to that idea of what Jesus began, Jesus continues. Do you think with me about that through the eyes of application for a moment? Have you ever found yourself thinking, wouldn't it be easier if Jesus was here? Have you found yourself in moments of doubt or struggle or loneliness, or trial, just wanting to reach out and hold Jesus' hand and look in his eyes and hear his voice? That'd be a cool experience, wouldn't it? But Acts is going to show us that That's not what God has planned for now. That Jesus is, in fact, here. And that we misunderstand how the Lord would want us to be walking with Him if we long too much for that for now. He's here through the Holy Spirit who resides within every Christian. And according to Jesus, that's better. See, the huge difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is precisely this. Because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, God Himself now lives within. He takes up residence permanently. So you not only are able to go to God, you have God with you all the time. The redemptive work Jesus began is now continuing through His people by His Spirit. It's easy to feel discouraged about the church in general and the condition of Christianity in the United States in particular. There's only a couple hundred of us here Every Sunday morning. We are not a big bunch. We don't have tons of money. We aren't filling Sun Devil Stadium. There's a lot more people asleep in Tempe right now than listening to a sermon. Last time I checked, we weren't trending 
on YouTube. But brothers and sisters, lift up your heads. Look out across the landscape of the world. Jesus is doing just fine. This church is not struggling. Jesus ascended to heaven to take his seat on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. And from there he reigns over all. Hundreds of millions of people will worship him today. More than anyone will worship a false god. Humanity will worship Jesus. And by God's grace, if we make that personal, because of the kindness of God, we know Him. We don't know merely ideas about Him. No, we have the Spirit within. And we're being changed. And so God's kingdom is growing. We have much to be encouraged about. I imagine if we could somehow open to a a particular chapter in the book of Acts and plop ourselves down in it, then we would find in many ways that to be a far more difficult, discouraging time to walk with Jesus. They don't have 2,000 years of proof. When we look with spiritual eyes, can't we see all kinds of evidence that Jesus is ruling and reigning? Because the ministry that Jesus started now continues by the Spirit, church, we must hear that we have been given marching orders. We are His witnesses. Certainly when Jesus said that to the disciples, He was first principally talking to the apostles because they would go forth in a unique authority that no longer exists apart from our simple reading of the New Testament. They would go forth to build the early church and they and their associates would write every word of the New Testament. But certainly by implication, that message we are witnesses includes us because the word continues to go on through us. In verse 10, you'll notice the disciples standing and staring up into the sky. Luke would have written the New, Test- the, the New Testament letter of Acts in Greek. And in Greek, there's a verb form that is uh, very precise. You only use it when you're really, 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 really trying to make a specific point. And the point is, something happened back there, and the reality of it is continuing on into the present. It's what's called a perfect verb. The only place in the whole passage we've read that that's used is of the disciples standing and staring. It's that they're feet are fixed and they're just bewildered. Jesus said, I'll be with you always, and then he left. They're standing and they're staring. Part of it is certainly the irony 
that they didn't understand what actually was going on. But part of it was probably, notice that Jesus was carried away by a, by a cloud. Those of you who know your Old Testament will know that's probably very likely not an obscure, bizarre, random tip on the weather. The cloud led the Israelites during the day as they wandered to the promised land. The cloud, the glory of God, filled the temple with His presence. When the people of God refused to to stick with God, the cloud, the glory of God, left the temple, never to return. Never to return until Jesus came. Jesus came fully and finally revealing in all ways what the character of God is like. And then He was carried up in that cloud, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us He will one day return, and every believer who is alive will be caught up in the clouds, so we will always be with Him. In a sense, the disciples were probably bewildered and wondering, what, what does that mean? The next few weeks as we work through Acts chapter 2, we'll see exactly what it means. But for now, brothers and sisters, we need not cloud gaze. We need simply to declare God's Word in the power of the Spirit as citizens of the kingdom. And we must trust what's here, that this Jesus who left physically, and came spiritually, will one day again come physically. And that is enough. We need no new, innovative work of God. We have the Spirit of God. We have the promise that our Savior will come back. We have a mission to declare that gospel as God's people in God's spirit. That's all we need. Let's pray.